It's not every day that you hear a success story that's changing the face of our cities and the lives of thousands of architects. Today I speak with David Basalto, founder and chief editor of Arc Daily, to hear his personal story and insights into how he and his partner grew the most widely read architectural website in the world, with over 300,000 daily readers and about 70 million page views per month. We met David one Friday morning in December 2015 while being interviewed at the Arc Daily Editorial Nerve Center in Santiago, Chile. We were struck by his enthusiasm and his passionate commitment to his work. He started his career as an architect, but soon realized that his real interest was creating a platform to share inspiration and knowledge for architects to make a better world. I think that it's something that comes very strong from the architectural education, that it is the same all over the world, that they will send you to see some presence, so you get some background, and then to iterate a new solution from that. That has positive and negative aspects, because one could think that this is like to copy the same model once and again, but I see this as a possibility to have iterations. It's like you understand certain core ideas and you develop something new on top of that. You share again so others will see, and this leads uh, to a constant iteration. Now with the internet that we exchange much more faster, this makes architecture at these iterations advance much more faster. I'm Keith Struthers from Natural School. These discussions are from behind the scenes, the stories and inner lives of exceptional people on the front line of innovation and creativity. We go backstage, where the creative steam goes whoosh, to hear the never heard before stories, their personal challenges, their emotions, their breakthroughs, the moments of insight. You can find more conversations like this at naturalschool.com. That's naturalscool.com. David, with computer technology being central to ArcDaily's success, you were obviously keen on the subject from early in your youth. How did your interest first begin and then develop? I was very lucky to be raised in a city that is uh, an hour away from the capital, so we could say that back in the 90s it was like an isolated city. At the same time, I came from a family of doctors. My dad was a gynecologist and my mom was a lab technician. But the interesting thing is that my dad worked on his own practice. So he bought this computer, he had to hire someone to do the database to teach him how to use it. But after three months, he just didn't want to use it. And then the computer went to my home and I was eight years old. And for me, this was this machine that I really wanted to use that I didn't know what it was for. It had a printer, I tried to print things. It had screws, so I would open it. And I started to get a tremendous fascination about technology. And then I discovered that computers could connect to networks. I wasn't in Santiago, and it was very, very hard to connect to the internet, but I managed to do it. How old were you then? At the first time that I got online, I was 14. And for me, this changed my world. It opened a whole new world for me. I was a kid living in a remote town, and now I was connected to the world. I started to see things, and immediately I felt related to them. I started to see many things. I started to listen to different music, I started to develop my English, and I would start to spend endless nights on the internet. I started to meet people, hackers from the capital city, uh, people who had certain technical interests that were interesting to me. I started to meet people. I started to travel to the capital city when I was 16, 17, to meet these people and to start to weave a network, but a network that didn't come from my family background or from my social background. Because in Chile family, 
and social levels are very, very strong. So I had a much more open network. For me, that was amazing. It shaped me a lot. So here you are, a young man with an interest in networking through technology. Then when you're thinking about a career, your first choice is medicine. This then changes to architecture. How was that for you? When I entered architecture school, for me it was terrible because Studio One was very focused on composition, color, and form. The drawing class that was also very important was to draw uh, people, uh, they would bring this naked model that you had to draw the human shape in a very classical sense, a lot of proportion. So I failed these very important classes. The only classes that I passed were computer computers and mathematics. <laughs> at that point I said, I, I suck at this, I shouldn't study this, I shouldn't pursue it, but I, then I said, it's the first semester, if I tell my family that I'm quitting, I don't want to be a quitter. So I said, I'm going to give this another chance. I'm trying to understand it, but then I was very lucky. That semester the school changed and they replaced all the tutors from Studio One and they brought young people, and especially my section teacher was Alejandro Aravena. So how did he change your architectural experience while studying? So he came with the proposition that we should deal with problems, and that completely changed. And for me, this was fantastic, and I started to understand architecture in a whole new way. Architecture was about finding issues and, de and delivering built responses. And then I got in love with architecture, even now that when Alejandro won the Pritzker, I posted this on Facebook that for me, that was the foundational thing. And until today, what we're doing at Arch Daily, that it is uh, to provide knowledge for others to, to be able to tackle on these global issues. But along the way, I had this constant relation with technology. Things on the internet that I like, I started my own blog, I became the, one of the first editors for what became the largest uh, blog in the Spanish language that's called Firewire, that's now it's a private company. But what you effectively were doing in the tech world was similar to what you're doing in Arc Daily in terms of spreading, communicating, sharing, connecting outside of your own family context. Yes, because at the same time I met my partner. Uh, he was finishing his master's in urban design at the time. And he told me, hey, I just came back from Spain and I saw the public participation there is very strong. The authorities show to the people all the urban projects that are going on and people have an opinion, they do debates, they think about the city, they know what is going to happen. And I see that you're working with blogs. And from what I've seen, I think that a blog that could spread this information could be very useful for that. So he told me, and you have this technical knowledge, what do you think about this? And yes, we could upload these projects. And he told me, well, I have this idea of calling this urban platform, Plataforma Urbana. And I have like a, a design that I did on Flash. I look at it and say, no, we have to do it like on HTML. Flash is no good for this. Look, let me show you how we can do it. And we sat down that same day and we started doing it. That's actually quite remarkable. Huh? It has been 10 years since we started working together and it was like this, like we, we met each other, we exchanged his ideas, it made sense for the both of us, and we immediately started to do it. And we haven't stopped working together since then. What would you describe the qualities that he has that are different to you and vice versa, that complement each other? What I had was a very like hacker mindset. I will study systems to visualize them, to understand them, what I could change. 
mostly I will modify code, I will adapt things. Uh, for me, because of this strong internet background, like the world was not something scary. I, I was always online and receiving things from all over the world. And David had a lot of vision and a very natural leadership. So when we started with this, he would, was able to congregate a lot of collaborators very easily. Um, and as we started to develop this, that eventually turned into a company, it was very, very obvious for us, our positions. I was in charge of operations, and he was in charge of management. We had a natural fit because we complemented very well. Could you characterize the culture of the organization of ArcDaily? And does it express something of the quality of both of you as co-founders? Well, something that drives us a lot is the passion that we have for what we do, this desire that we have to see the world, but also the freedom that we have. Because we take decisions based on this rather than on financial outcomes. So we have translated that to our culture. They have shaped what our physical space are like inside of uh, Arts Daily. And as you saw when you came here, this is a space where you can do what you like the most, even if you are a software engineer, a journalist, or an architect, in an environment that fosters freedom. If you want to walk by the pool, if you want to walk outside, you need to be more quiet, you go to another room. And was it financially challenging at the beginning when you started out? Well, we were young, we didn't need much money, we lived in shared apartments, we had low cost, and also we had some income coming from university that it is a relation that we really wanted to maintain. Uh, a lot of people, uh, young students that we met, came to do their internships here, have stayed. We very quickly, we had blue numbers, and we have been able to grow our operation on our own. We don't rely on external investment, and this is related to what I said before about the freedom. And what can you highlight from your experience of being a startup in Chile as different to somewhere in the Northern Hemisphere? Especially in relation to, net, to the value of networking and to ambition. Sometimes I think that here we're in a society that's more conservative in which ambition tends to be something very bad. It's like if you succeeded, it's because you took advantage from others. In the Northern Hemisphere, entrepreneurs are very valued. They are seen as people who add value uh, to the rest of society. And I think that that is the main difference. Here, networking is like you're trying to take advantage of people or steal their ideas. In the Northern Hemisphere, it's quite the opposite. Networking is very important because that will help you succeed. David, I have a friend who's both an engineer and an architect lecturing at university. And he gave a project to the engineers and the architects simultaneously. The engineers immediately went to first principles to understand the problems and some of the engineers came up with very innovative original solutions. The architects, on the other hand, consistently immediately went to the libraries and the internet to see what other people had done. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that because my question relates to how come architects don't go back to first principles? They actually first go to what other people have designed and it seems an unusual approach, in a sense. Yes, well, this is. I think that it's something that comes very strong from the architectural education, that it is the same all over the world, that they will send you to see some presence, so you get some background, and then to iterate a new solution from that. That has positive and negative aspects, because one could think that this is like to copy the same model once and again, but I see this as a possibility to have iterations. It's like you understand certain core ideas and you develop something new on top of that. 
you share against others will see, and this leads uh, to a constant iteration. Now with the internet, as we extend much more faster, this makes architecture, these iterations advance much more faster. But going back to how architects think, you have to find a middle point because I have gone to many schools in Asia, new schools, in which the precedent means to copy something, that they don't generate something new on top of that. And that it is a challenge, I think. So for sure, when you see this happening, architects immediately going to the precedents, there are two ways that you just repeat, or that on top of this base, you generate something new and you make this base grow. And I think that it should be always related to grow and grow and grow the base. When people outside from our field say, how come there are very good social housing buildings and we're not repeating those? And then you start to remember that we come from a profession that has a very uh, art-like component in which we don't, do not want to repeat what others have done and we want to create this unique thing. But when you see it from that aspect, it's like, how come we're not repeating the good projects and making the same mistakes again? That's a fascinating thought, which really does fly in the face of all that architecture is about this feisty individual who is always trying to invent something new, being innovative. And it seems so unfortunate that projects cannot benefit society just because they cannot be repeated. And plagiarism is such a hot topic for a number of reasons, but also including the fact that then the architect is seen as a person without substance, a person made from straw. And on this question of innovation, what do you think is important? The architects who have a good understanding of things are able to do these changes, who can really uh, have a broad view. So that's why for architects it's very important to travel, to understand different cultures, and we need to understand other professionals who work in a multidisciplinary way, because all of those things will allow you to see things from a distant perspective. Different ways to develop a mental flexibility and, an, and a different perspective on things. Yes. In, for example, there is this architect called Evan Sharp who developed something that is used by billions of people every day. That it is called Pinterest. Perhaps he's the, one of the most successful architects in the world because his creation is used by hundreds of millions, billions of people. And what he has applied to it is an architectural mindset uh, towards an internet product. Uh, and the success of this is because he, has, he was able, with his partners, to understand how creativity works, not only for architects, but also for other people. How housewives will be getting inspiration to redesign their homes. David, I think we can all agree that modernism has flattened the architectural landscape globally. And my question is around, how do you see a revision of that paradigm? And let's say, specifically in a Chilean context. Uh, thanks to this globalization, yeah, we have reached this point of saturation, but this has also led to something very interesting, that we're seeing new inspiration coming from the, not the traditional parts of the world. I think that a developing context, such as, such as Chile, South Africa, or Southeast Asia, are generating a kind of architecture that is very different. An architecture that comes from a constrained context in which you have to do more with less, that uh, inevitably takes you to be more creative. In your exposure with ArcDaily, where do you see architectural trends heading today? Do you see emerging trends arising and what are they and how would you characterize them? 
For me, two things are very interesting. First, this influence from the developing world that has to do with this new creativity as a result of scarcity. And the second is that much and much more architects are entering into tech startups because design thinking is very high value today. And we have this tool that is also related from the detail to the big picture that is becoming very, very useful for uh, other fields. Uh, companies like Pinterest or Facebook are hiring uh, architects as designers. So for me, those are the two important trends, this creativity in relation to scarcity and how we're applying architectural mindset to startups. And do you see trends coming from the Southern Hemisphere specifically that are quite different to the Northern Hemisphere? Mm, I think that the lack of regulation that we have allows us to do things in different ways. For me, the developed world in the Northern Hemisphere has reached a point of regulation that is good for certain things. For example, we would say that uh, energy standards are good because they lead you immediately to have better comfort, but at the end you end up designing with a defined set of rules. Perhaps here we have less rules that foster this creativity uh, that make a difference. So creativity can actually flourish more easily within the context of a southern hemisphere where it's less regulated. Yes. But also I think that the biggest creativity is where between a set of rules you can do the best. The, it's like playing a good soccer match. Uh, everyone has the same rules. The ball cannot go out of the field. You cannot kick the other people. And you can have a Ronaldinho playing this in a masterful way with the same rules that all the others have. David, thank you for your time. That was fascinating. No, thank you for the conversation. You helped me condense a lot of things that I had in my mind. Uh, and I hope that this will help other people. When I reflect on my interaction with David, it's clear that the synergy between him and his partner, the two co-founders, is key to their immediate and ongoing success. In their particular business, without tech savvy, nothing can be grounded or developed. And then on the other hand, without vision, there's no direction or ongoing growth. ArcDaily has both. So my question to you is, as a practice, do you have a complementary team to achieve what you're setting out to do? You can share this discussion or listen again at naturalscool.com. That's natural, S-C-O-O-L.com. Also, feel free to sign up for our bi-monthly email newsletter. Every two weeks, we send out inspired thoughts and reflections about design and architecture, as well as interviews with innovative designers from all around the world. You can sign up for our newsletter on our website, naturalscool.com. This is a Natural School production. Thanks to our host, Keith, our producer, Shannon Flynn, and Daniel Apple for original music.